Shabbat Shalom, guys. You're stuck with me. Get over it. How's everybody doing? You have a good week or a difficult week? All right. I know some, some people's weeks are more challenging than others, but God is in the midst of all of it. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> if you've been here the last three weeks or so, we've been studying through what book? Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, right? Okay? Um, and so, Rabbi Damien started this series um, sort of that, at the impetus of uh, something that, that happened with... Um, a renowned pastor in the United States, actually in Atlanta, that he basically told thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people um, that basically the Old Testament is pretty much something we don't have to worry about, that we need to sort of put out of our minds. Uh, he used phrases such as, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Um, I'll tell you after service. <laughs> and... Uh, he said, you can't mix Moses and Jesus. You can't have a little Moses. You can't have a little Jesus. Um, <laughs> so, if you want a physics lesson about how Jesus and Moses work together, Sharon will help you out. Um, but this uh, series was called The Aftermath, and basically what happened after Jesus, after Yeshua rose from the dead. And this perspective is an extremely misguided Christian perspective, and we've all seen it, and we all, and some of us may have even been a part of it for a while, okay? We've, we've may have had our, our perspective in that sort of vein that um, all of this Old Testament stuff is irrelevant, and it's, you know, it doesn't have any bearing in our lives, it doesn't have any application, and, you know, even to the point, you know, there's somebody in here that when, when I first met them, uh, they were like, ah, I don't know about Israel. You know, Israel, I think they're probably the, you know, not God's people anymore, sort of kind of thing. And that perspective, I believe, has changed. But it, it really gets, you know, difficult when um, in our pulpits we have this anti-Torah, anti-even really, when you get down to it, anti-Semitic um, language. And it really, it really creates difficulties uh, with people understanding. I mean, why would you want to pick up this book, you know, like a thousand pages here, and say, you know, the first 800, 850 pages don't, don't have any bearing on my life, and so I don't need to worry about it. Um, and that's essentially what the result of that is. Um, and so this teaching was actually um, first introduced in the early to mid-2nd century with a guy named, you guys may have heard of him, named Marcion. Marcion was a, um, a Gnostic, and he became known as a heretic. And he um, basically, the story goes like this, he, he really liked Paul, but he didn't have any kind of context for Paul. And so he interpreted Paul in the way that's often interpreted today, because we are so far removed from our Jewish roots, and he interpreted Paul in such a way as to say Paul and Jesus himself, and Paul's version of Jesus, so to speak, um, represented a different God than the God of creation and the Old Testament. OK? 
okay? The God of creation in the Old Testament <clears throat> was a God who was, you know, um, he was an angry God, you know, he needed some Prozac, and, you know, he had problems there, and anger management issues, and, and uh, but the God of Jesus, the God of the New Testament, he was all love, he was all grace, he was all, you know, compassionate and caring and all that kind of stuff. And so what he did was <clears throat> he proposed, um, well, first of all, to, to get on the, in the good graces of the uh, church at that time, he was a, um, a ship merchant, and he was very wealthy, and he, he donated a large sum of money to the church. And they're like, hey, thank you, this is great, you know, we're going to build the kingdom with this. And then waited a little bit, waited till they really, you know, got that money and, and were enjoying it, maybe using it and everything, and he said, now, he goes, I got a proposal for you. He says, we need to, to say, this is, these are the holy texts that we're going to use as the church. And he basically took Paul's writings, uh, I think the Gospel of Luke with some emendations, he reversed some of the words of Jesus, like, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He, he reversed that to, I have not come to fulfill it, but to abolish it. And, um, <clears throat> and then he said, these are the things that we need to call Scripture, basically. We need to call these our holy texts. We need to throw out all of the Hebrew scriptures, and we need to say, this is who we are, that's who those dirty old Jews are, okay? And, um, and so Marcion, um, the church did not really do, take well to that. They're like, eh, I don't think so. So they called him the firstborn of Satan, they gave him all his money back, and excommunicated him, okay? And he was deemed a heretic from that point forward. The problem is, he started a large following, and uh, his followers have, ha, and their, their teachings have trickled down even to today in our church theology, our church doctrine, and so forth. And it's hard to get that out. Now, what does this have to do with what we've been talking about? <clears throat> well, the reason why Rabbi Damien is going through the book of Acts, and we're, we're walking through this week by week is to reframe our perspective on what happened after Jesus, after Yeshua uh, went into the ground, he, he died, and he rose again, okay? Once he was resurrected and uh, the apostles sort of take over, Paul comes on the scene. Most, most people, eat, I went to Bible college. Um, I only lasted two semesters, but anyway, I did go. And, um, you know, in our Acts class, I, it was ingrained within us that the church began in the book of Acts, right? And that's what most of the thing, things teach. But did it really? And these are the things we're going to talk about um, in this series. I want to, us to um, go back a little bit and make some connection points to help us understand Rabbi Damien's message and understand his purpose for teaching this. I'm going to review a little bit more of what we've been talking about, but I'm going to make some connections for us, okay? Um, and so... Rabbi Damien has been talking about why the, the book of Acts was written. Well, one of those is because Luke is connecting the Gospels to the, to the epistles, and, and specifically the epistles of Paul. Because think about this. I don't know if you've ever imagined, but if you, if you read, for instance, if you read the Hebrew Scriptures <clears throat> and you take them as, as that, and you don't know anything about the New Testament, the Apostolic Scriptures, when you start reading the Apostolic Scriptures, take this for somebody who, who has been raised Jewish or, or, or something in their entire life, they know the Hebrew Scriptures, they come in and they read the Apostolic Scriptures. 
there's things that, that they're making connections in certain ways that we've overlooked. There's also ways that they may be confused because of our, our translations, because of the, the order of the books, the way they've been put in there and so forth. And they're, they're making these leaps in their minds that maybe the authors never intended, okay? And so we do that quite a bit. And so what Luke is trying to do is he's trying to build a bridge between the Gospels, which tell the story of Yeshua, and what happens afterwards, specifically Paul. Because if you just go straight from the Gospels to Paul, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? You know? Think about it. Yeshua raises from the dead. He, he is, ascends to heaven. And the and and last thing he, to, he told his disciples, you know, the last couple of things is, one, when he sends them out, don't go to the, to the Gentiles. And then he says, you know, going to all the nations, preaching the gospel and, and baptizing and so forth, making disciples. But he doesn't specifically say that this is a, a, an ex, um, something that's going to extend to the nations. They're still thinking, and still everything that we've read from Genesis uh, up until the end of John is to the Jews, okay? So how do we deal with this? And then if we're reading starting with Romans or something, it's like, whoa, where did that come from, okay? And so, so um, Luke makes this transition because he wants to um, show how the apostle Paul was called and that he was on par, which Rabbi Damien is going to get into this, I think, next week more. He was on par with the other disciples. And what he taught and the revelation, the specific revelation that he had from Yeshua himself was a valid revelation. And it taught us how that the Gentiles can be included in this Jewish faith. Okay, That's a, that's a difficult concept for a lot of people to, to grasp especially 2,000 removed and removed from culture and culture culture and issues and things like that and indoctrinations that we've had within the church. Um, but this is what's going on. Um, he also spelling out, this is something Rabbi Damien brought out two weeks ago, the differences in the ministries of, actually this is last week, Peter and Paul. Uh, Rabbi Damien called them the players, right? So Paul's the minister to who? The Jews. I mean, did I say Paul? Peter. Peter is the minister to the Gentiles. Paul, no, I'm wrong. Peter is the, I've got it. Man, I can't speak. Peter is the min, min, uh, minister to the, there you go. And Paul is the minister to the, there we go. You guys keep me on track, okay? I just do things to keep you on your toes. <laughs> so we, we found a Klingon that matched the picture of Paul that we had last week, right? Nice, nice. Okay, and, he, and Luke is also giving the backstory of Paul and why he should be considered impossible uh, of Yeshua. He is justifying and validating his ministry. Now, we're going to transition for a minute, okay? If you have your Bibles, open up to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And this is also in the section that we are going to be um, brief, well, we're going to be talking about in the Chronicles class today, but not necessarily this section. So, at the beginning of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, okay? And this is the testimony of John when the, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, we're going to cover this more in our class, but I'm going to just tell you right here, this is a first problem that we encounter 
um, that causes lots and lots of problems for people. And this is why we have certain perspectives that seem to be anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, and so forth. Because it seems like John continually uses this phrase, the Jews, in a pejorative manner, okay? He doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means, okay? If you've ever seen The Princess Bride, Aningo Montoya would agree. So, um, and so uh, in this, he's using it in a different context. If you want to find out what that means, come to class, one o'clock. John chapter one, I just read verse 19. Yes. Okay, he confessed... And did not deny, but confess, I'm not the Christ or the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah, Eliyahu? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give, you, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah the prophet, nor the prophet, sorry. John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not, wor- I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptized. And this is the context. John is, is, has this ministry going on. He's immersing. He's got disciples of his own. And, and people are wondering if he is the Messiah. He says, no. Um, he says, I'm basically the one who's crying out and announcing that is coming. And now, verse 29. The next day, he saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was, be- because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend like, from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I'm giving you guys a lot of background. We're going to get to the point here in just a second. <clears throat> I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who, ba- who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. So he is identifying Yeshua as the one. Okay, He is the Mashiach. He is the Messiah of Israel. And then it says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Yeshua as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Yeshua. Yeshua turned and saw them following and said to them, and this is, this is where we're getting to. Yeshua said to them, <clears throat> what do you seek? In other words, what do you want? What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And so they went with him and they stayed with him and so forth. Okay. So, this is sort of different from um, the typical pictures. Usually when we hear, see Yeshua calling his disciples, we, in, maybe in our minds we picture Yeshua as a, as a Jedi with a Holocaust cloak and glowing red eyes and people standing by and he says, come follow me, you know, waving his little hand like that. And they, they just like, yes, uh, come follow you, right? But <clears throat> that's really not the way it happened. In this 
particular instance, God, uh, John had already identified Yeshua, uh, and he had called him out as this, the, the Lamb of God. His disciples recognized him, and now <clears throat> Yeshua, in this instance, he's not even calling the disciples. The disciples are just like, hey, this guy is great. Let's follow him. And Yeshua's like, well, what do you want? And they're like, uh, where are you staying? <laughs> you know? It's like, you know, what? I don't know. I just want to hang out with you. And, and so Yeshua says to them, he says, come. Come and see. And so this little phrase seems quite innocent and innocuous and meaningless almost to us. But it's actually a rabbinic phrase, and it's found within the Talmud over and over and over again. There's two phrases. There's the phrase, come and hear, and come and say. The fra- they're, they're equivalent. They're used interchangeably throughout the rabbinic works, okay? And so the phrase, uh, come and hear, is actually used almost 800 times in the Talmud by a rabbi who is about to start teaching about to start telling the disciples, you need to learn from me. I'm about to give you some important information, okay? The phrase, uh, come and hear, or uh, come and see, rather, is, is used, I think, like 40 to 80 times, something like that, interchangeably, okay? And so this is a, um, a, a phrase that probably means a little bit more than we think it does. It means something that Something is about to happen, something's going to go on, and Yeshua is going to take them in, and he is saying, come and follow me, but in Jewish terms. Come, learn from me. And so my question for us today is, what do you seek? What do you seek? What do we seek? The disciples pursued Yeshua because they had questions. I mean, they had stuff that was just nagging at them, eating them. They, had, they wanted to know. They wanted to learn. They wanted to know what was going on. They wanted to know when the kingdom of heaven was going to arrive. They went and wanted to know when he was going to establish his kingdom, how the scriptures were going to play out, how the Torah was going to be fulfilled, how the Torah pointed to certain events and certain things, and how the Torah was supposed to be properly applied in their lives. What brought them to Yeshua? It was the curiosity. My question to you is, what brought you to Yeshua? Okay? We all have our individual stories. We have these stories of what brought us to Yeshua. And it's going to be different for each one of us. Okay? Some of us had a radical experience from darkness to light. I listened to you don't mind me just saying this one thing, Roger's story a couple weekends ago just totally floored me of how God delivered him from just pure brokenness and, and a, a miserable life, miserable home, until a place of bringing him straight to him. That's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> Some of us have a story similar to mine. My parents were godly, you know? I grew up in a home, my parents were in part-time ministry, they were deacons, they were um, youth leaders, uh, they were young adult leaders, um, you know, and, and, and minister in the church, and I, I just grew up in that, and, and my faith was built off of the faith of my parents. But it doesn't matter 
we still have to have something that drives us back to Yeshua. So what is that for you? I want to ask that question to you. My next question is, what brought you to Messianic Judaism? Because that's a whole different story, right? A whole different story. And so my story is that God used my wife. When I didn't have a clue, I, did, I wasn't interested at all. But in his mercy and through the love and the faithfulness of my wife, he brought us to this place. My third question is, what continues to feed you and sustain you on your journey? Or are you well-fed and have no more need? Yeshua provides the living water, but if we don't go and drink from his fountain, we will still not be satisfied. Does your spiritual curiosity persist, or are you satisfied? Because the place of stagnation is the place that we don't want to be. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Just me? Is that just me? Okay. I was hoping so. I was like, whoo! Okay. So, stagnation is a place that we don't want to be, and it's a very difficult place to get out of, because it is a place that is almost um, an endless self-repeating loop, okay? Um, If you know anything about sound, if I were to stick this microphone up to that speaker, it would do what? Yeah, give you feedback and bust all of our eardrums, right? So that's what it is. It's hearing the same thing over and over and over, and it's like it can't hear anything outside of what it hears of itself. And this is an endless loop that it's almost impossible to get out of. And that's why we need one another, Sometimes we can see the cycle that the other person is in when they can't see it themselves. We need to get and cover one another's backs, right? I can see your weak points. You can see my weak points. I'm oblivious to my weak points. Ask my wife. (laughs) I'm getting better, I think. So being self-aware is a difficult thing, amen? So, this, um, this sort of thing right here has us, brought us back to um, something very important that Rabbi Damien has established for us a few months back, and that is our core sort of vision, mission for Nakamomi. Who can remember it? It's very easy, but it's hard to remember. We are supposed to do two things. We are supposed to love God and love each other, okay? These are our core principles that we established a few months back. We're going to continue to repeat these over and over, okay, until we can just get them down, because these are the things that that help us to get out of that self-repeating loop. That's when we love God, and we strive to do His will, and we love others, and we work to fulfill their needs. Amen? Okay. But we need to do these things in the context of Messianic Judaism. What do I mean by that? By loving God and loving each other, it doesn't mean we throw out 611 of the 613 commandments and say it's just, it's just these two now, right? We know better. We know better. 
We know that all of the Torah and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It doesn't mean that all of them have been replaced by these two commandments, but they hang. They depend on these two commandments. Christianity has many things right. Judaism has many things right. But Messianic Judaism is able to put us back on the original trajectory. We are to live out godly, the godly principles of Torah while under the kingship of Messiah, all while anticipating the coming kingdom of the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, the one from Nazareth. Messianic Judaism is not just about worshiping on Saturday. It's not just telling people about the festivals. It's not about picking the pepperoni off your pizza. And, and don't you laugh, I know you. If, <laughs> if Messianic Judaism isn't changing our life and our lifestyle, if it isn't changing our priorities, if it isn't changing the way we order our daily lives, then our hashkafa hasn't fully made the transition from Christianity to Messianic Judaism. Okay, that word hashkafa, you guys heard it a few times probably, right? Okay, let me just clarify what that means. Hashkafa is your perspective, your paradigm, your worldview, your frame of reference by which you understand all of life, okay? And we all have a different, slightly different hashkafa in the way we filter things in life. But the, the principle of having the filter of Torah and Yeshua should be at the center, Okay? It frames our concept of Messianic, Jewish, uh, Messianic Judaism and how it applies to our life and everything else in life. Yeshua asked his disciples, what do you seek? And I again would ask the same, what do you seek? It's easy to show up at synagogue once a week or once a month, once a year, and sit back and receive. But it's much harder to invest into the community of Nakamuami the Nam's tribe, as we've been calling it, into the lives of our brothers and our sisters. Do we follow our rabbi along the dusty, dusty roads, the lonely paths, and ultimately to the place of his execution? The disciples said to him, <clears throat> Rabbi, they called him rabbi. What does that mean? It means, as the text tells us, it means teacher. Okay? So Yeshua's disciples recognize him as rabbi. We're a messianic synagogue. Of course we recognize him as rabbi. What, what does that mean? But is it, does it just mean somebody that gets up here and leads the service on a Shabbat? Is that what it means? No. It means specifically a teacher and a teacher of Torah. So if we want to be Yeshua's disciples, then that makes us his students. And we are specifically his students when it comes to Torah. Yeshua's response again to his disciples that said, where are you, where are you headed? He said, he didn't say, uh, I'm going down to John's house and I'm going to hang out there for a while. He didn't say that. He could have easily said that, right? He could have said, I'm going such and such. But instead, he said, come and see. This is, this is a, also a, <clears throat> a term, a phrase of discipleship. I can tell you how to do something, 
but until I show you how to do something, it's not going to mean much, right? I have to take you under my wing and then say, this is how it's done. Or watch me do it, and then you can try it. This applies to everything. I mean, simple things like ladies lighting candles. But it also applies to things like how to interact with people, how to overlook an offense, how to love unconditionally, how to put people's needs above your own, okay? How to be hospitable, how to be kind. We have to demonstrate by example. The worst thing in the world that we can do for our children is say, be this way, and we're not willing to do it ourselves, right? Yeshua was the ultimate example. He was the model. He was a true rabbi in the fullest sense of the word. He exemplified every single thing that he wanted them to learn from him and absorb through him by his example, his teaching. His words and his deeds aligned with one another, and they were the same. May it be for us. Our rabbi beckons us to come and see. He longs for us to learn what we can do. There's a passage in Numbers chapter 19, verse 14, that says, this is the law when someone dies in a tent, okay? So on, you have different levels of, of interpretation, remember. Um, we have the Peshat level, which is the simple interpretation, the face value. But we have other levels below that or above that, whatever you, however you want to look at it, <clears throat> that says we can look at this passage in a different context. So on the Peshat, on the surface level, this means these are the laws explaining what to do when a person dies in a tent or an enclosed dwelling. Okay, These are the procedures that have to be done. But we can also look at this, as the sages did, in a Midrashic style that means... One, in a person, in order to truly learn Torah and experience Torah, we must die to ourselves. We must go into the tent of study and die in order to learn the Torah. We must die in our tents of study. We must die in our tents of practice, okay? So, I've got a lot of other stuff that I'm going to skip over here just to get to my, my, my point. What are the acts of Nachamu Ami? We're talking about the acts of the apostles. And this, this, you know, it's a book, but it's recording the deeds, okay? So if we substitute that word acts for deeds, we may sort of rethink how we view this, okay? So these are the deeds of the apostles. My question to you is, what's, what are the deeds of Nachamu Ami? What are the deeds of our community, our tribe, our family, if you will? And how do they impact the world for the kingdom of the Messiah? So, as Rabbi Damien has started, we must start with the basics. Love God, love each other. Love God. How? What's the highest form of worship? What's the highest way we can love God? By studying Torah. Okay? Uh, Rabbi Damien's gone over this as well. But the reason why we do this is there's a debate. What's, what's greater, study or deeds? And the, the answer is, after a long debate, is study. The reason why is because we can do deeds, 
but only through study will we know the proper deeds and how much we can do and what we can do. So through the study of Torah, it enables us, the, it gives us the momentum. It propels us into being able to do the deeds, okay? So Torah study, practical, practical things right here, steps. We have a Beit Midrash full of books you've never read, and probably I haven't either, and concepts you've never imagined. The Beit Midrash is our, our library back there that we study, do our Torah study in. <clears throat> we have a weekly Torah study exploring the weekly Torah portion on a, week, on a level that anyone can appreciate, whether you're a novice or whether you're a scholar, because we all contribute to the study and the discussion. Dr. David does a great job at this. We, we interact with one another. We dig and we learn from one another. Uh, the Chronicles class. We are studying through the Chronicles. We are studying through the Gospels from a Messianic Jewish perspective week by week. And I'm sure there's other things that we can do as well. We have... Um, every, every few weeks, we have Torah on tap for us guys to come out and learn something we all, I would say love, but it's more of what we all need. It's how to be an, the absolute best husband that we can be to our wives, even if we're not married. And so it is <clears throat> learning how to be Christ-like, to be godly men and step up to the plate in our marriages. The second thing is prayer. That's our other divine service to show that we love God. We have a shakrit service every morning at 9 o'clock. If you didn't know, you can come in and you can pray with us and we can enter into the place of the holy presence of God by doing the service of the tabernacle, doing the service of the temple here in the synagogue of Nachamomi in Macon, Georgia. We also have weekly prayers that we can participate in on an individual level. We have three opportunities a day to, to connect with God in a meaningful way, morning, afternoon, and evening. We don't have them necessarily here at the synagogue, but we can all connect with them individually by corporately praying one person at a time at the, at the same hour. Second part, loving people. How do, we, how do we do this? We start with loving one another. We start with loving the tribe. And that, I've already given you some examples of that. Kindness, hospitality, overlooking offenses, believing the best in one another, right? Those are little things that, that if, we, if we, we are doing that, and, and I'm very thankful that we, we have a congregation that is very, very cognizant of this because of some things that have happened in the past, and we are very sensitive to one another's needs, uh, one another's feelings and so forth, and we are in a very, very healthy place in that regard. I'm very thankful for it, but we don't ever want to drop our guard, right? Amen? So, what do you seek? What do you want in life? How do you want to fulfill your role in this world, or do you want to fulfill your role in this world? Because we have an opportunity at, at Nakamu and me that hasn't existed for almost 2,000 years. And Nachamomu is right in the middle of a work that the Lord is doing to restore his people. For almost 2,000 years, disciples of Yeshua have not had access to Jewish texts that help frame the context of the earliest disciples' relationship to the Torah. For almost 2,000 years, there's never been the openness and dialogue between the Jewish community and Yeshua followers that we see today, particularly, particularly here of all places in Macon, Georgia. 
For almost 2,000 years, we have not experienced the similar dynamics of the first century that force us to understand the relationship of Jewish disciples of Yeshua to the Torah, as well as Gentile disciples of Yeshua to the Torah. For almost 2,000 years, disciples of Yeshua have been ostracized and estranged from their brothers and sisters within the greater Jewish community. However, today, in Macon, Georgia, in Macon, Georgia, Hashem is building bridges of love and mutual respect between the Jewish community and the Messianic Jewish community so that the world can see that the God of Israel is alone the God over all. Amen. Do we fully understand each other? No. You know, these other congregations out there in, in Nakamumi, do, we, don't, we don't butt heads like we used to necessarily, but, but do we understand each other? No. But there's, there's mutual respect and love that's being nurtured in Macon, Georgia. You know, that's unheard of in most places in the world. Do we have everything worked out on how we interact with each other? No, not at all. Are we building a foundation and working towards reconciliation? Absolutely, absolutely. So, again, what do you seek? I've given you a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different avenues, a lot of different places that you can fit in, that you can work towards building the kingdom. Do you want to become the person Hashem created you to be? Then pick up your Bibles. Dig into the book of Acts during the weekdays so that you can track with Rabbi Damien as we continue working through the Acts of the Apostles. And then pay close attention and take note of the examples we will see in the Apostles and in the early community of faith. Find ways to serve others. Find ways to build bridges and find ways to apply what you're learning. What are we doing at NAMS? What's our goal? What are we building? We're building the kingdom. But we're building it one person at a time. And I'm glad you and I are here working to fulfill this goal and to fill this, fulfill this mission and build the kingdom together. Amen? Amen. Shabbat shalom.